This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. Today's episode brings you cybersecurity strategies in government defense and homeland. Here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders with their cybersecurity strategies and solutions. With me on today's show are Paul Beckman. Chief Information Security Officer, Department of Homeland Security. Ron Pointis, Deputy Commander, U.S. Army. John Davis, Vice President, Public Sector, Palo Alto Networks. Donald Heckman, Deputy CIO and Deputy CISO at Department of Defense. Chris Usserman, Principal Security Architect and Chief Security Officer, Infoblocks Federal. And James Yeager, Vice President, Public Sector, CrowdStrike. Well, we've got a, a lot of activity going on in the cyber world. As always, I was just out at CES and I was just blown away by all the uh, IoT devices out there, the AI, the ML that was out there, and a lot of buzzwords uh, out there these days in regards to zero trust. And uh, I, I know there's a resiliency and threat matrix, et cetera, but it seems interesting that uh, at the end of the day, we're still into how do we reskill our workforce? How do we maintain our workforce? Uh, how do we make sure that we have good cyber hygiene, uh, hygiene so that we don't uh, end up in a situation like we've had uh, in numerous occasions, right? Paul, we're going to start with you and just give us a state of the state. What's happening at DHS these days in regards to your cyber program? Now, you nailed a couple of the, of the big points that we're working on uh, right now, Luke. So, Zero trust is going to be probably the biggest thrust that we're, we're working on right now, building the foundations of zero trust. Um, the one thing I like to say about zero trust is, you know, it's not something that you need to go out and buy a solution for. It's uh, getting back to the basics, uh, getting back to the principles. I like to say what's old is new again. So we are, we are building the foundations of zero trust without any new procurements. Let me uh, put you on the spot there. Give us 30 seconds on what is zero trust for the audience so they, they understand it. Just layman's terms. Zero trust is that, you know, at the end of the day, trust no one and nothing. Uh, in the old days, you used to have the perimeter where everything internal to that perimeter was trusted and everything external was the untrusted. Zero trust implies that there is no distinction between the two. I don't trust you whether you're internal or external to the network. So one of the basic principles is I will authenticate you, force authentication, uh, for every transaction that you do on the network. Um, when I talk about getting back to the basics of zero trust, I mean, it is least privileged principle. This, is, this has been a network security principle that's been around for a very long time, but it is truly enacting least privilege uh, all across your network uh, and everywhere that, uh, that, that, that gets uh, executed. A lot of activity going on at DHS. Ron, I know there's a lot of activity going on at Army. You guys have your cyber command set up over there. Uh, tell us what's happening in the Army. Yeah, so we've... Um really made a lot of progress over the last year on really understanding uh, all of our network. Because you think about the scope and scale of the Army, about 1.1 million users. And, and so you really have to have um, awareness of who all your users are and what's happening on the network. And so uh, the progress we've made with our big data platform and what we call Gabriel Nimbus, where we ingest all the sensor and network data into that. And so really using that automated tools we're making good progress of standardizing the, the tools to enable us to patch faster. And I would tell you the third one is really putting the processes in place and dealing with the, the culture in the Army that says 
Um, you know, I, I, I need to be able to patch now because the adversary is not going to wait. And so that, that is a culture we're, we're dealing with. But a lot of good progress. And really focusing on the immediate now and, and making sure that these things are, are up to par because uh, we're down to, you know, zero day type situations these days, right? Uh, John, I know that uh, Palo Alto has done a whole bunch of work across the uh, the federal service, DOD, and across the the private sector as well. Tell us, give us a little state of the state about uh, sort of what you're seeing out there these days. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Uh, in terms of progress, what I'm seeing uh, some of the more effective organizations do, and I characterize it this way, is moving away from three different types of legacy approaches toward more modern, effective, innovative approaches. One of them is moving away from an over-reliance on people. Mm-hmm. Not that people aren't important. They are very important. But you'll never have enough people to do everything that's required. So moving away from an over-reliance on people to the better use of automation and software-based advanced analytics, like big data analytics, machine learning, deep learning, uh, behavior, behavioral analytics, and, and AI. The second uh, trend is that organizations are moving away from an outside-in approach where you, you know, the focus is on the perimeter and keeping, in, keeping bad things out and trusting what's inside to a focus from the inside out and shrinking down that, those visibility and security controls to the lowest possible level. And this has a lot to do with what Paul said, the, the zero trust concept. And then the third uh, trend that I'm seeing is the journey to the cloud, a move away from a total reliance on on-prem uh, security towards cloud, and clouds of different type, public, private, hybrid, multi-cloud, and even SaaS. And, and that organizations have found that, you know, cloud provides all kinds of advantages, but security is a challenge. And so the, the organizations who do that best are able to address those security challenges in the cloud. Yeah, you, re- you really, um, uh, when, when you get into those cloud environments, you're really uh, extending that responsibility, if you will. You're not, you're not advocating it or <laughs> releasing it, but you're certainly extending it. And it does make it more complicated, right? You know, all of a sudden, the networking pieces, et cetera, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, start to come into play and create some vulnerabilities there that you have to watch out for. Uh, Don, how about over at DOD? I know you guys have a, a lot of activity going on. We've heard in the news about the cybersecurity uh, maturity model certification and some other things. Uh, what's the state of the state and progress in regards to uh, the DOD environment? Yeah, so I think in DOD, you know, we, as part of the CIO's digital modernization strategy, a key piece of that is our cybersecurity strategy and our risk reduction and how do we continue to uh, make improvements. So uh, we've been, you know, again, continuing to make good progress on our cyber hygiene initiatives that we were doing. You know, are we getting our um, operating systems to the most current version? Are they configured correctly? Um, Do they all have valid authorities to operate? Um, And then um, we're really focused on uh, how do we move forward with um, as you heard, visibility of all the endpoints. You can't protect what you don't know. So we're, we're working on that. Um, you did mention the uh, cyber maturity module model that's being worked. You know, mm-hmm. defense industrial base is a critical component. Sure. Uh, uh, not only for us, but for the entire nation, if you think critical infrastructure and others. And so uh, what we're looking at is uh, how do we actually ensure that our defense industrial base are implementing those um, security requirements to protect their networks and our information because a lot of our information resides on their networks. 
Right, and there's been case after case after case of these collateral systems, these tertiary systems uh, that, uh, you know, have been exposed with vulnerabilities, right, rolled over, and then all of a sudden they come in looking like a credentialed uh, user, and, and the rest is history, right? A lot of these situations that we've seen in the past are that. And it's interesting to hear that we're still talking about sort of blocking and tackling, right? We're still talking about hygiene, which used to be so difficult is still tough to do, but with a lot of this automation now, much easier than it was in the past, right? But the, uh, the vulnerabilities and, and the attacks seem to be the, you know, the same old, same old kind of situations there. Paul, you were going to say something. Yeah, I just want to footstep yeah. uh, exactly the point that you're making that I alluded to earlier. We've, we've, we're still getting back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Patch management. Um, if, you know, if you can learn to how to harden your systems, manage, i.e. patch your systems, and monitor your systems, You've you've solved ninety nine percent of the problem ninety nine percent of the time, um, but yeah, it's it's it just continues to seem to be such a challenge to really become brilliant with the basics. But that's exactly what we need to do. Brilliant with the basics, I like that. I read a report the other day on just ransomware and how a lot of these municipalities are getting had, and it's just such basic things. It's uh, it's really uh, unfortunate to see that. Chris, I know that uh, Infoblox is right in the middle of helping to sort of secure the uh, community at large. Why don't we start with that for a minute? Just give us 30 seconds on what, what is Infoblox so the audience <laughs> understands that, and then where are you and what are you seeing out there as far as progress? Sure. Uh, Infoblox, and specifically Infoblox Federal, we focus on obviously the, the federal government and, and a lot of the public sector, but that is in delivering technologies and information, actionable intelligence and such for the sake of understanding uh, the core network services, managing core network services around DHCP, DNS, and understanding around what's actually on your network, uh, which actually produces network intelligence, and then correlating that with DNS activity. Uh, what, one, of the, one of the things that's most interesting about that is, is that, the unfortunately, the span of of maturity of organizations, both public sector and private, is still hugely varied in in very simplistic gaps that are there, such as we talk about cyber hygiene. Uh, and I still see this in agencies today, all the way up to organizations that are really embracing automation and orchestration. Uh, those that are most effectively doing that because of the gap in, in personnel you really need three. You need two things in the in the network, and that is network intelligence, knowing what's on your network, and and knowing the expanses of your enterprise, and that extends beyond your your brick and mortar. Uh, it goes to the the home network of your employees because they take their resources home and are operating there, and don't have the resources that you have in your in your offices. Uh, and network intelligence to be able to bring that contextualization together. But when you tie all of that. Uh, into one into one cohesive mature model, you have skilled people, you have living processes that are proven, and you have technologies that are integrated together to be able to automate and 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 execute on those playbooks in a in a measure of scale that the human alone can't do. Yeah, you know, it's uh, that age old sort of what's on your network, right? And I, I think all of us went through that, right? We we put CDM and some of these other. Uh, you know, programs out there, tools out there, and the place lit up like a Christmas tree, right? We found all kinds of things that we didn't realize. And then, you know, who's on your network, et cetera. James, uh, uh, tell us, you know, let's face it, uh, we, we've heard about CrowdStrike in the news in one form or another. Uh, but, you know, maybe people don't really understand what CrowdStrike is and what you do and sort of the federal 
community at large. So why don't you give us 30 seconds on what is CrowdStrike and then talk about, uh, you know, what you're doing in regards to the, the, uh, the federal community. Yeah, sure. And, and, you know, any news is good news, as they say, right? Sure, uh, absolutely. 100%. Uh, <laughs> maybe, you right? Know, crowd truck. Yeah, I've heard that before, right? right? Yeah. I've heard that a few mm-hmm. times, yeah, especially in this town. So, yep. uh, yeah, so we're in the endpoint protection space, um, a space that's awfully crowded, right? We all know that for sure. Uh, the distinguishing factor for CrowdStrike is that we are 100% cloud native, right? And so what I mean by that is... Our platform and every capability that's derived from the platform is engineered and delivered via a single lightweight agent from the cloud. So we're not retrofitting a legacy solution to be able to run in a data center and calling it cloud. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of benefits naturally for for that. Right? We're focusing on driving cost and complexity out of the environment for our customers. And you know, frankly, as as the government uh, panelists are well aware. And certainly on the industry side too, uh, you're dealing with you know agent bloat, right? We're, we talk to customers all the time that you know they we have what anywhere from agent a, bloat? agent bloat, right? Okay. Uh, so what is that for the layman? So the, you know, a, a ton means. of agents taking up residence uh, on your endpoints and servers, right? right. We talk a lot to of customers. Pieces of software on there. Yeah, to do I mean, it, it can it can your yeah. mileage can vary, right? Mm-hmm. But we've spoken to customers who've got 10, 10 agents. We've spoken to customers who've got sixty agents, right? Right. And, right. and so so naturally. Um, it's hard to do effective security that way. And so we're spending a lot of time coaching our, our customers on how to do more with less. Uh, one case in particular, and obviously I'm not going to be able to mention the, the name of the agency for reasons that will be obvious to all of us, but with the acquisition and the deployment of CrowdStrike, we helped a, a customer in a matter of weeks identify seven agents that they could reduce from their footprint, right? Mm, okay. And so just imagine amount, the amount of IOPS and resources and efficiencies that can be gained there and, and obviously the economic benefit. Uh, the other thing that I would just say that we're spending a lot of time on, and it'll dovetail off of Don's comment, which is visibility. Um, I couldn't agree with him more, by the way. At, at CrowdStrike, we place a massive, massive premium on the telemetry and the information that you gather about the adversary, right? How can you know who you're defending yourself against if you don't know the adversary themselves? And so uh, threat intelligence and infusing that threat intelligence beyond just IOCs and finished intelligence and reporting, by the way, contextual intelligence, you know, bringing that down to the endpoint so that we can improve the security apparatus and enhance the security program overall is a big area of focus for CrowdStrike at this time. Really uh, thinning that out, simplifying it, and, and making sure that... Uh uh, we get to the left of boom, as they like to say, right? Right. Uh, Ron, let's talk about uh, priorities for the next uh, upcoming year. I, I know you all have a, a lot of activity going on. Give us, uh, you know, your, your your top two or three priorities, things that you're focusing on uh, that you want to get done in this uh, this new decade of 2020, right? Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's do with three. Uh, sure. First, in concert with what uh, building what Don said. Uh, Mr. DC as a DOD CIO, one of his priorities is comply to connect. And that really is, you know, validate authenticating every user that comes on the network. And so and so all the services are working in that direction. And and uh, there will be it's it's not intended to be a single tool or set of tools, but uh, a, a kind of a suite uh, cocktail of tools across the services. So that is a priority. A second priority, and, and it builds, uh, I think, what James was talking about, is having the right automated tools that really allow us to have the speed of patching. 
speed is critical in this, and that's, you know, as Paul went there earlier, it, it's uh, the adversaries are, mo- are moving much faster than our traditional processes. And so the configuration management, the patch management, but the speed of patching uh, is incredible. And not directly related to cybersecurity, but it's a big deal. Uh, our command, the headquarters, is moving this year from the Washington, D.C. area to Fort Gordon, Georgia, near yeah, Augusta, Georgia. That. So that is uh, a, obviously a, a big priority for the command. Right now we're spread uh, across uh, 11 different facilities in the Washington, D.C. area, and we're moving into a new headquarters at Fort Gordon. And so you'll have the operational part of uh the cyber part of the Army, along with the institutional that's already at Fort Gordon with the Cyber Center of Excellence. So those are kind of three big priorities for fiscal year 20. A lot of activity in 2020. Right. John, how about at Palo Alto? What, what do you, you know, what, what maybe the priorities of Palo Alto, but maybe the priorities of what the agencies are asking you to do, right, uh, going forward and what, 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 you're, what you're needing to do to respond to that in the next year? Sure. Um, our priorities are based on our strategy. Mm-hmm. And, and our strategy is comprised of three interrelated lines of effort. The first one is our bread and butter, secure the enterprise. So even though I mentioned earlier about this journey to the cloud, we see for the foreseeable future, it's going to be a hybrid environment with on-prem capabilities, still a big requirement, especially in government and especially in DOD. So being able to provide next generation firewall capabilities and subscriptions, that's part of that, that uh, line of effort. The second is the journey to the cloud and helping organizations with that journey from uh, a, a total reliance of, of, on on-prem to a uh, cloud of different types and being able to help uh, organizations in the sh- uh, shared security model. The last line of effort uh, deals with securing the future. And this is about providing uh, detection, investigation, automation, and response capabilities for security operations so that you automate, you begin to automate as much as possible, and you free up your people to be able to focus on the most serious threats. Yeah, really, uh, you know, as, as they say, being able to find the needle in a stack of needles, right, is, is, is super important. And I, I, quite frankly, think that a hybrid environment is here to stay, right? I don't think you're ever going to have a, a pure cloud play. Um, uh, you're certainly not going to have a, a pure legacy play, and there's always going to be that mix and match. And, and I think also, you know, as talking to a lot of the CIOs, uh, a, a lot of complexity when you start to get into these multi-cloud environments. So, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Um, uh, you've been listening to the Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Prevent every cyber attack that you can. For any that you can't, Detect and investigate quickly. Automate response and get smarter with each incident. With a rich U.S. government heritage, Palo Alto Networks understands the needs of its U.S. government customers. Manage risk across the entire federal enterprise architecture with Palo Alto Networks. For more on Palo Alto Networks Public Sector LLC, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash government. The cyber threats government agencies face are constantly evolving and require a solution that proactively detects and prevents these events from occurring. Enter CrowdStrike. The CrowdStrike Falcon platform delivers a cloud-native solution that safeguards your agency while satisfying your mission requirements. Built around the ability to detect and prevent breaches by even the most sophisticated adversaries, CrowdStrike's platform delivers modern, secure, and resilient endpoint security to the federal government. To learn more, visit CrowdStrike.com. That's CrowdStrike.com. 
Broader advancements in technology and the evolving threat landscape are putting unprecedented pressure on today's government networks and IT leadership to provide stronger security. What if you had an in-depth strategy to protect your assets, reduce risk, and simplify network management? Infoblox Federal offers a forward-thinking approach to the mandates, regulations, risk, and challenges that affect the way government agencies design and use their networks. To learn more, visit InfoBloxFederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Paul Beckman with Department of Homeland Security, Ron Pontius with U.S. Army, Cyber, John Davis, Palo Alto Networks, Donald Heckman with the Department of Defense, Chris Usserman with InfoBlox, and James Yeager with CrowdStrike. Uh, Paul, we were just talking about priorities for this coming year in 2020. Uh, what, what are you guys looking at? What are you focusing on? There's a lot of stuff going on there. Ooh. Give us your top three or four that you're uh, focusing your attention on. Yeah, we are busy. Um, as you know, uh, I've been working on this concept of our, of our SOC optimization uh, for the last year. Mm, right. um, that's going to be one of my biggest priorities this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that SOC optimization is emulating what DOD has done, where we are establishing these required levels of maturity that each SOC needs to live up to. Uh, and if you pass an assessment uh, indicating that you have met that maturity level, you get designated as a center of excellence, able to not only provide that service for yourself, but offer that as a service to uh, to anyone else that would like to consume that service from you. Oh, that's an excellent idea. So like by, the, and by mm-hmm. the end of the year, I should know, uh, I will have all the assessments done, and I will know who my centers of excellences are and who will need to move over to a center of excellence. Okay, So that's going to be a primary thrust for that stock optimization. Sounds like a good strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, second, CDM continues to march on. We are going to, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to be able to wrap up phase two, or at least get close to it um, by the end of this year. Uh, as, as you had indicated, phase one being uh, what's on your network, phase two still being who's on your network. Sure. And really getting our arms around that priv and cred management. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last piece um, is something that is near and dear to our uh, new CIO, Beth Capella's heart, uh, and has, she has made it a priority, which is POAM remediation. We are mm-hmm. going in with a laser-like focus, uh, getting our arms around all of the existing plan of action and milestones, uh, that we have on these AKA systems. AKA POEM. I was going to ask you to say what that was. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and getting those remediated. It's amazing what happens when leadership... And so what, what, what is that, just for people? You know, what is, a, you know, is that sort of a... You, you find something, and then, yeah, just so people understand. So if you yeah. go, go through the risk management yeah. framework, uh-huh. identification, sure. uh, selection, implementation of controls, when you get to assessment, you are assessing all of those controls, and any control that you fail to meet... Uh, meaning that that's not there, that security requirement is not there, you, you turn that into a plan of action and milestone to remediate. And so you, you start nope. working it off. Sort of like a punch list on those, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So I'm very happy. Uh, like I was about to say, that it's amazing what happens when leadership makes things a priority. We are closing poems and remediating poems like I've never seen before. Yeah, man, Beth Capella, as you mentioned, coming from an operating component, you know, has a, a laser focus on that. I think that's good for the community to stay focused on these things, tighten it up. That's all about the cyber hygiene, right? That leads to, to good results when you do that. Chris, how about at InfoBlox? Um, you guys uh, are, are out there uh, working in that federal community. You've got some priorities of your own, and certainly your, your agencies are doing things, are asking you to do things that are creating priorities. Tell us what this next year looks like for you guys. Sure. Uh, one of the things that we're really helping our, our clients with is making that bridge to cloud. Uh, in the hybrid environment, one of the big challenges there is visibility. Uh, understanding what resources I have in the cloud environment and tying that in with a single pane of glass back to what's on my network as well. And then, and then obviously containment and security. How do we extend that those security profiles and, and moment in time 
in real time protections and alerting to resources when they're off premise. Uh, that's where they're at their most risk for being able to be attacked. Uh, you know, we hear often the going to a local coffee shop and hooking up to the Wi-Fi and getting, you know, getting uh, attacked at that point. Same thing can happen wherever you are, whether you're on your home network, whether you're, you're at some, you know, some other company or some other location, some other office whose security posture is not as good as yours. You're always at risk for it. Uh, the biggest challenge is, is that when, do you, when are you alerted when there's some problem? We're trying to close the gap on that alerting from, you know, the mean time to detection I saw on one metric last year was 179 days between infection and detection. That should be nearly instantaneous. And we're wow. trying to help customers get to that point. Wow, that's, that's kind of scary. Yeah, and I, I was, uh, you know, the, there's these statistics out there about the home networks, et cetera, and how many devices are connected to a home network and, and that type of thing. So there's all kinds of, you know, threat vectors there in regards to those kind of environments that, you know, sort of open that aperture up, right? And if I could follow up with that, one of, that's one of the challenges, you know, for the folks here uh, from, the, from the government side is, is that you have a network that's within their span of control. Uh, but the span of influence extends beyond that, you know, to the fact that our, our U.S. enterprise actually is as far down. One could argue it goes as far down as the, the municipalities and the school districts because you have target by association. Our adversaries don't really care of the delineation between, you know, who's responsible for federal, for state, for local, for school district. Yeah. All they care about is I just defaced a website at some obscure network or some school district or a county in Texas. And they take credit for that. And it's targeting the U.S. enterprise. And so we kind of have to take a, a, a holistic approach to the defense of that. Sure, sure. Don, how about over at DOD? I know you've got a lot of activity on uh, over there. I know that uh, Mr. Deasley has been uh, uh, on site there for over a year now, laid out a whole bunch of priorities, including cyber. Uh, Ron talked a little bit about that. What does next year look like as far as what you want to get accomplished, what your priorities and your focus are going to be for the upcoming year? Yeah, thanks. So you, you talked about Mr. Deasy's, um He's got this digital modernization strategy, has four key components, cloud, artificial intelligence, improved command control communications, and security. And so of which security really supports all those. And so sure. uh, big focus next year is uh, ensuring we have the right um, security requirements for the clouds. And I'll say clouds because uh, we're a multi-cloud environment. We will have general purpose and fit for purpose clouds. Um, artificial intelligence, you know, we recently established the Joint AI Center. Mm -hmm. uh, had those folks on the show a while ago talking about that. And uh, key there is how we have the right security uh, for artificial intelligence, right? And so, and that, again, that gets back to, um, you know, data protection, protection of where the data is stored, how it's processed and things like that. Um, Secure DevOps, right? So how do you uh, get uh, capabilities to the warfighter quicker? How do you develop things in such a way that they inherit security controls so that um, you can rapidly deploy capabilities? So a uh, big focus for my organization is how do we do that faster? Uh, you know, uh, depending on who you talk to, uh, you know, there's sometimes horror stories about how long it takes to um, a credit and get a, a particular capability out to the field, 90, 180 days, right? We'd like to shrink that uh, down uh, to be much more effective. And then 
you heard Ron talk about, uh, you know, comply to connect. And so as a part of that, and uh, I want to foot stomp uh, what Paul had said, right? Getting back to basics, really. How do we do things better, right? Um, you know, how do we ensure we asset visibility, see all the endpoints in the network? How do we ensure they're properly configured before you let them connect? The people, uh, how do we, uh, you know, identify through improved identity, credential, and access management? But not only for people, how about remote processes? Uh, you know, there are uh, our financial community and others are looking at how do they leverage uh, automation to, to do things better. So how do you ensure that uh, those are authorized processes that are running uh, and, and tracked? And so we're, uh, we're doing all that. And then I, I'd like to foot stomp the people, right? We have been rolling out our cyber accepted service. Uh, we continue to make good progress on that. Uh, what is that so people know, just understand what that means? So uh, Congress gave us the authority, recognizing uh, that we were having challenging in attracting and retaining uh, professionals in the cybersecurity mm -hmm. area. So they gave us the ability to um, onboard people faster, uh, special pay scales so that we can provide some additional pay, retention bonuses, uh, additional funds for training. And, and so we started with a pilot. We, uh, we did it with uh, Cyber Command uh, and... Um, some other organizations, uh, Navy Marine Corps came on, uh, Air Force is coming on this year, and an Army uh, is coming on soon after. So the goal then is to allow us to uh, recruit and retain cyber professionals uh, across all our uh, it's super skills. important to do that, right? I mean, of all the skills, uh, and there's plenty of them, and certainly this was one of the ones where, you know, the private sector and the public sector are sort of competing with that, it seems like, all the time. And I know AI is a big piece of trying to help, you know, sort of automate some of these things. There's some great stuff going on in uh, the Air Force with Kessel Run, with your DevSecOps, et cetera. Let's roll over to a uh, different uh, subject. Before we do that, though, we're going we're gonna to reach out to you, James, and talk about priorities for 2020. And next, we'll talk about lessons learned. But let's start with uh, priorities that you're seeing at CrowdStrike in regards to what does the next year look like and what are you guys going to be focusing your attention on? Yeah, sure. So conveniently, I also have three. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're occupying our time and energy. Uh, the first, I would say, is uh, CMMC. I know Don mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, first, let, let me just give credit to the Defense Department for, for uh, endeavoring to implement this model. Uh, this is not new guidance, right? We've, we've had, we've had yeah. guidance mm -hmm. from NIST in the past. But, you know, the, the challenge, I think, historically, is just as humans, you know, we, we either chase the carrot or we fear the stick, right? And, and you know, 800-171 really lacked any punitive element, right? So I think it kind of got a meh after a while from DOD and from the integrator community. Um, but we have mapped all of our solutions uh, to the varying levels. And, and granted, it's an evolution, right? The model is, is not yet, uh, you know, completely in its finished state. But uh, we're putting packages and, and solutions around to help not only the Defense Department, but also um, the the DIB partners that are working to secure the federal supply chain and you know spending countless hours uh, every year supporting DOD. So that's a priority. Um, the second is cloud compliance, right? So we currently occupy a leading position in cloud compliance at the endpoint level, um, but our work is not done, right? So uh, currently we're operating in GovCloud at the FedRAMP moderate baseline level, uh, but we are going to be pursuing or we're underway with our pursuit of FedRAMP high and also working with DISA uh, 
to achieve impact level five this coming year. And so these are major, major engineering initiatives, as most of you likely know. So we've secured provisional authorizations on both the civilian side and the defense side to partner with us um, as this uh, pursuit carries forward. Uh, But that will occupy a lot of time this coming year. And then the final thing I'll say is relative to artificial intelligence and concept of big data and big threat data and also the cloud, there's some continuing education that I think that needs to get done. We all recognize that. Um, but, but local telemetry about what's going on in your environment really only tells a partial story and a partial truth, right? So we're encouraging our customers to zoom out. You use the word aperture to open the aperture a little bit, Luke, so that we can see uh, the threat and context of the threat in a more global view. If you, think of, if you think of the way security operators and InfoSec professionals work today, if they're inspecting their environment and they get an alert, um, they make observations, they make an assessment, it's either good, it's bad, it's black, or it's white, right? And certainly if it's unique, there's a reaction there, right? But we'd be naive, naive to think that something that you're seeing in your environment, which may be unique to you, is unique in a global sense, right? So zooming out, providing additional threat telemetry about what others may be seeing that can help inform you to make more actionable decisions with confidence about how to respond to the threat in your environment, that takes some education. And and in all reality, in order to be able to do that, you need to have access to troves and troves of data. And the federal enterprise just doesn't have the budget or the capacity to store that. So the only way to really effectively do that is to take it to the cloud. And so we're spending a lot of time on that initiative and educating our customers there today. Synthesizing that, et cetera. Well, we want to roll over and talk about, as I mentioned, lessons learned. I think this is really important. All of you have been at this for quite some time. Paul, we're going to start with you at DHS. And and, uh, you just sort of, you know, give us a few lessons learned, pluses and minuses, either way, uh, so that, uh, you know, the listening audience out there... um, uh, can learn from from uh, sort of the, uh, the the various activities that you've uh, embarked on in the journey that DHS has been on. The two biggest lessons learned I would probably bring up, and, and I've and I've mentioned it a couple of times, um, especially with respect to zero trust, is you do not need to go out and spend uh, any money with respect to starting to build the foundations of these secure infrastructures. Um, you do not go after the, the the latest beeping shiny whistle. Um, start start building the basics and, and get to it that way. Um, The other good lesson learned that we had uh, over the last year was this concept of the authority to proceed. Um, One of the directives given to me when I first got the job was that we had to figure out how, to to Ron's point and Don's point, you know, how we keep up with the speed of mission uh, and the existing FISMA framework with respect to getting a system certified and accredited just was not able to do that. Um, So when we came up with this concept of the authority to proceed, out of the NIST 800-53 controls, and there's 600 plus of them, Mm. um, we eat out 35 critical controls. These were the, um, you know... The bare bones. The bona fide bare bones. You know, back to my point is, you know, can you harden your system? Can you configure your systems based mm-hmm. on the DISA on the, sticks, um, the security technical implementation guides? Can you manage and patch your systems, and can you monitor your systems? And that was about 35 key controls that, that kind of constituted those three capabilities, mm-hmm. and where we said that, yeah, if you can really do those 35 well... We'll buy you a year to get into production. You can get into production right now, and that'll buy you a year while you work on the rest of those controls mm-hmm. to get that properly certified uh, and accredited. Um, so that was a very valuable lesson learned. It enabled us, uh, to a large degree, to keep up with the mission. Yeah, really uh, enable those operators. That's what it's all about. But it's, you're really talking about balancing and managing risk, right? Yes, absolutely. That's what you're talking absolutely. about here is a, a way Striking to... Striking uh, that balance uh, to, to really make 100%. sure that due diligence is applied, but enabling ops. 
John, how about at Palo Alto? I know you guys see a, a large footprint of activity out there. Maybe some lessons learned about what you're seeing out there in regards to uh, as, as everyone embarks on this journey of zero trust and everything else that sure, we're trying we, to get to. And I, I want to build on what Paul said. That, you know, so this is all in regard to the whole zero trust concept. Uh, first lesson, why is this so important? I don't think anybody here would disagree that we're living in an age of unprecedented growth in modern technology. That's information technology, operational technology, and even IoT as we start connecting everything uh, everywhere. And that brings unprecedented uh, benefits from a social and economic perspective, but it also brings dangers, especially when you look at IoT, you're talking about uh, increasing the attack, attack surface 10x or more. And when you talk about 5G, you're talking about the ability to increase speed. So, um, and that goes for not just the benefits, but the dangers. Um, and I think that it's, it's not hyperbole to say that it's not just about speed and scale. The dangers are also about impact. When you start connecting mass transportation systems and life-sustaining devices to this environment, now it's not hyperbole to say you could be we could be putting people's lives at risk if we don't build security into these systems. Things get very complicated very quickly, don't yes. they? Yes, absolutely. So uh, getting back to what I said earlier about you know changing the approach, a legacy approach from the outside in to inside out, step one in Zero Trust is to figure out what's most important to protect. Start there. In the military, we called it cyber <clears throat> key terrain. In the vernacular of Zero Trust, it's called the protect surface. But starting there, to get to the point where you're, you know, trust nothing, verify everything, your verification controls are, are you shrink them down so that you end up with a, a model that says only authorized users are allowed to do authorized functions using authorized applications with authorized content and data from authorized devices. That is where you're trying to get to. And, and what we've learned is it's a journey. You don't end up with a, you know, there's no, there's no final product. There's no, this is not a product. It's a journey. This is, not a, uh, this is something that you have to continue to mature. And so what we've learned is there's a maturity model in, in achieving this type of thing. Step one, to get to about the 80% solution, you identify the users and applications. You put users into functional buckets, you, uh, and then you apply policies so that you're able to control what your users and applications are doing. Step two, to get to about the 90% model, you do that with devices. You, you identify the devices on your network. Uh, you put them into small functional buckets. You figure out which devices can talk to, or which buckets can talk to which other buckets, and you apply policies. But you never get to 100% because it's zero trust. Sure. So you have to continue to iterate. Right, and you're, we're back to, you know, sort of what's on the network and then who's on the network and getting back into that situation where, and, and look, that, that's, that's evolving and changing all the time. And the tool sets are getting uh, more and more mature in regards to that. Well, we're going we're gonna to loop back and uh, ask the rest of the folks for some lessons learned, but we're going to take a short break. Uh, you're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. 
The cyber threats government agencies face are constantly evolving and require a solution that proactively detects and prevents these events from occurring. Enter CrowdStrike. The CrowdStrike Falcon platform delivers a cloud-native solution that safeguards your agency while satisfying your mission requirements. Built around the ability to detect and prevent breaches by even the most sophisticated adversaries, CrowdStrike's platform delivers modern, secure, and resilient endpoint security to the federal government. To learn more, visit CrowdStrike.com. That's CrowdStrike.com. Prevent every cyber attack that you can. For any that you can't, detect and investigate quickly. Automate response and get smarter with each incident. With a rich U.S. government heritage, Palo Alto Networks understands the needs of its U.S. government customers. Manage risk across the entire federal enterprise architecture with Palo Alto Networks. For more on Palo Alto Networks Public Sector LLC, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash government. Broader advancements in technology and the evolving threat landscape are putting unprecedented pressure on today's government networks and IT leadership to provide stronger security. What if you had an in-depth strategy to protect your assets, reduce risk, and simplify network management? Infoblox Federal offers a forward-thinking approach to the mandates, regulations, risk, and challenges that affect the way government agencies design and use their networks. To learn more, visit InfoBloxFederal.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Paul Beckman with Department of Homeland Security, Ron Poinius with U.S. Army Cyber, John Davis with Palo Alto Networks, Donald Heckman with Department of Defense, Chris Usserman with Infoblox, and James Yeager with CrowdStrike. We were talking about lessons learned. I'm going to throw it over to you, Ron, and ask that you, you know, paint a picture, you know, lessons learned that you're, uh, you're, uh, you've discovered pluses or minuses uh, as you've gone on this journey in the Army. I'm going to bring in um, a, a different aspect of this, and first the challenge. Sure. We're all, we all know we're in competition for talent. Finding the right IT and cybersecurity professionals is, is a challenge uh, not only for the federal government, state and local governments, industry, et cetera, et cetera. So a lesson learned is we, we step back because we're a worldwide command, not only across every, you know, uh, base, army base across the United States, but, you know, Europe, Middle East, Asia. Uh, and so we're, we're an aging, we have a bit of an aging workforce, and we were finding ourselves unable to keep up with those who are retiring. So we, working with the Army Civilian Human Resource Agency, we consolidated into a center of excellence what was previously 59 personnel centers. Wow. And we hired a civilian recruiting firm to partner with that center of excellence. And we were able to completely change the dynamics within about 10 months, uh, really able to get to the left, to get to young men and women, recent college graduates that wouldn't normally be looking at or, or thinking there was opportunities available in the government uh, let alone in the Army, and we made tremendous progress. We're offering summer internships now to college students uh, or two-year fellowships to recent college graduates, and this is consistent with the overall. The Army published a the Army People Strategy in December that really focuses on the acquire, develop, employ, and retain, and saying, let's understand that it all starts with the people. You got to merit with the technology and processes, but the people are incredibly important. So that's a lesson learned: how we've changed the dynamics to to bring talent into the army. Big time, and and I know that uh, you know that there's a lot of uh, 
assessing, uh, you know, tests that are being assessed now on on folks to, to see, uh, you know, the applicability of how well they'll be able to adopt to, to learning some of these technologies and turn them into these cyber ninjas, as we like to say, right? Uh, Don, how about at DOD? I know there's uh, there's got to be a whole bunch of lessons learned there as you guys are on your way uh, through this journey of these various activities and priorities that you laid out. Yeah, I'd like to say, I mean, I agree with what Paul said and Ron and John, but, uh, you know, I kind of had listed here, people are our most important element of any initiative. Uh, and then next, with people comes culture. I, I think I heard talk about, you know, uh, you really need to work on culture. Culture is a challenge, uh, you know, and uh, making sure everybody understands cybersecurity is their responsibility. Uh, they have a responsibility. It's not somebody else's job. It's everybody's job. Uh, and then um, I, I liked what Jim and Chris had said, right? Um, I think sometimes simple is better. We, we continue to want to chase the shiny object. We keep adding, adding more agents onto our endpoints in, in to the point yeah. where uh, they won't function, right? And right. so if, if it's too complex... Create your own denial of service, right? Your, yep. Yeah. And then I like, uh, you know, how do we be proactive versus reactive? How do we get more threat intelligence? How do we threat-informed uh, risk, you know, that drives our risk processes to allow us to implement things faster? And so I really like the uh, authority-to-proceed approach that DHS is doing. And so, so I think those are some of... Um, our lessons learned that were and I like that where it starts with the people you know Marine Corps has a mentality you know every Marine is a rifleman you know and I I always used to say that you know every every employee has to be a cyber professional has Mm -hmm. to be a cyber warrior at some length James how about at 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 CrowdStrike I'm sure you have some lessons learned out there maybe a couple of the top couple that you'd like to highlight there for the, the listening audience sure yeah so so obviously coming at this from a little bit of a different angle on the industry side but I think one thing we can all agree to is that enterprise security at scale or doing it successfully is is not easy, right? Uh, and uh, and so when we talk about an enterprise, we're not off. We're not always talking about a single enterprise. We're talking about in DoD's case, a, a collection of massive enterprises, right? Not hundreds of thousands of endpoints, millions of endpoints, and so. Um, and, and the engineering behind some of these technologies uh, makes it that way. All the brick and mortar, as, as uh, Chris mentioned, and all the bent metal, the architecture just is not there to sustain that success at scale. Uh, so one of the things that we're really encouraging, we're spending some time on the Hill and talking to federal executives about this, is is can we do testing in a more effective way, right? Let's not continue to test in a lab. Let's not test on 5, 10, 100 endpoints um, and, and let's not test for a week, right? Th- those conditions are not emblematic, um, and they don't replicate what the real world looks like for an enterprise. Um, and so y- you don't really get a chance to really inspect whether or not you're going to be able to accommodate the threat vectors that you're going to be encountering on a day-to-day basis. And so we've got to get bigger. We've got to do it in an operational environment. Um, we've got to be able to see real threats, and we've got to be able to test on thousands and thousands of endpoints before decisions are made about you know, are we going to get into a situation where we continue to throw good money after bad? Bringing up some good points, and we're at that time in the show uh, where we like to kind of wrap it up and, and ask everyone to paint a picture of the future. You know, if we if we fast forward three years, you know, what's that situation? What's that environment going to be like? James, we'll start with you at the end of the table there, and just uh, give us a couple of minutes on what does it look like. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think. We need to really raise the stakes uh, in, in the, the realm of security and, and measure, create new measures 
and standards of excellence when it comes to security. Uh, and really what I'm talking about here is, is attempting to do security in real time, okay? Uh, we talk to departments and agencies each and every day, and uh, you know we're, we're witnessing engagements where dwell times from the adversary are measured in multiple months, right? And I think we all recognize the damage that can be done in, in minutes or hours, let alone 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And so imagine the havoc that can be wreaked if you can't address the threat um, in, in, a, in, a, in a more collapsed time frame. And so we've developed this construct, this model of 11060, and it's a rule that we've been socializing over the past year. It's getting a lot of traction. The government's been very, very receptive to it. And effectively, it's a new benchmark standard for uh, can you detect uh, an incident in a minute or less? Can you do a full investigation on that incident in 10 minutes or less? And can you remediate and eject the adversary in 60 minutes or less? So mm. let's think bigger. Let's be more ambitious. Let's be aggressive with our goals. And let's work towards uh, being more efficient and operating with speed and security. I love it. One ten sixty, Chris, uh, paint a picture of the future. Uh, what does it look like in uh, two to three years? And maybe you can give us one quick lesson learned since we can get to you on the, uh, oh, on the lessons right. learned. Uh, I think actually it, it all plays in well together. And to kind of build on what Don said, you know, with the absence of, of you know, a one-to-one skilled map, mapping of, of personnel to open jobs, one of the challenges is, and without following the, the new shiny object syndrome, we have to have a better integration of the ecosystem. Uh, us vendors need to work better together. And that's one of the things that in Infoblox, being kind of the middle, the middle technology around a bunch of different competing technologies is we help enable that from, you know, the CDM enabling technologies, patch management, visibility. Uh, one of the big challenges is, is that more isn't always better and free isn't always free. And so recognizing that there's a long tail on some of the, you know, some of the things that you get for free, uh, how, does that, how does that impact proactivity to reactivity? And what you really want to do and what we've seen, you know, historically and should get to in the future is, is moving that window of proactivity much further into the future. Uh, and so that the reactivity supports the 11060 piece, the, that model of, of how do I remediate? How do I get full contextual awareness of not only what's happening in my environment around the threat and understanding how to respond? That's, that's really key because, as we've seen in a number of different cases, there has been an alert. There's been a notification. There's been something that just hasn't raised the bar right. of, I need to focus on this now. This mm-hmm. needs to be number, my number one priority. Right, that needle and the stack of needles, right? Yep. That, one of those scenarios. Uh, Don, uh, at DOD, you know, if you could look out over the horizon three years, I know you guys do a lot of that. And um, uh, what does that look like, right? What does it look like for the soldier coming into, you know, the DOD ecosystem, uh, the sailor, the uh, the airman? Well, I'm going to foot stomp what Paul had, had said, right? I mean, we, we are continuing to deploy capabilities, improve our current capabilities to achieve a zero-trust environment, right, where... Everything, devices, processes, and people are identified and inspected for compliance before they're allowed to, to uh, connect. Uh, that's your zero trust, That's right? our zero trust. Right. Data is protected at rest and in transit, and uh, we're leveraging autom- automation and machine learning to allow our net defenders to effectively operate at net speed. I think that's where we need to be. Uh, the, the cyber maturity model certification, and that's sort of early on, is there a, a time frame that that's, uh, you know, uh, supposed to, that, that's a, 
you know, across the defense industrial base, which I think is awesome, right? And the uh, uh, you were talking about sort of punitive sort of, you know, and it's it's more about, hey, you're just not going to play in this market unless you can prove to us that you're, you're hard and you're certified, et cetera. What's the timeline that we're looking at to try to, to get that? Because I see something like that rolling its way over to the civilian federal side as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, I don't know what the exact time frame is. I, right. I know what they've said is it's a phased-in approach. We, mm-hmm. we know we have a large install base. It's going to take a while, uh, but there will definitely be a, uh, a time frame in which, um, y- you know, to achieve um, your certification in the future to be able to do business with the department. Right. It's not just going to be a it's sort of a full a, chop kind of thing. You have to feather this in, and there is a huge investment in doing this, but uh, the payoff is is significant, right? Yes. And uh, as the adversaries continue to get sophisticated, they already are sophisticated. You know, they just sort of lie in wait there, uh, so that uh, you know, getting this environment hardened is really important. There's numerous examples of where the the uh, different parties in the DIB have been, uh, you know, uh, penetrated, right? We know that. That goes back to World War II and probably before that. John, how about at Palo Alto? What does it look like from where you all sit? What do you guys got cooking in the Petri dish there that you might want to reveal here right on the show? Um, Luke, I'm, I'm going to take an optimistic uh, look at the future. Sure. Uh, we have a vision to, you know, to support organizations so that each day is safer and more secure than the day before. Mm-hmm. So, I think we can get, I think it's possible to get to a, a position where we can prevent most of what we're seeing today. And let me say right up front, I think Paul mentioned it earlier, basics matter. I think that, you know, basic standard, discipline, hygiene, whatever you want to call it, strong passwords, uh, multi-factor authentication, uh, software uh, patching and, and, and vulnerability management, and just being suspicious of what shows up on your device. The, I believe that if people do the right things, you can take care about, of about 80% of what we're seeing today. But people don't do the right things. And any system built on an expectation of that is going to fail. So to get to a better position, it's back to what I said earlier, we've got to make better use of automation and software-based advanced analytics. Now, this, is, this has to be an integrated approach because you have to be able to use these capabilities in a way that you're not looking through a bunch of soda straws at different parts of the attack process for mm-hmm. you know an attack uh, a, a threat attack process uh, or the kill chain whatever you want to call it you have to take an integrated or packaged approach and this requires that organizations like mine have to be interoperable with other organizations to make things integrated to make things easily orchestrated Uh, And I think one of the visions of the future that we believe in is an open API uh, 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 architecture so that you make you make plug and play a reality. And and we're all sitting all the cyber threat or cyber uh, security companies are sitting on enormous amounts of data, indicators of compromise and contextual information that needs to be opened up so that you can plug and play with that data. Right. And you can build an API structure so, so that we fight machines with machines, we fight software with software, and we save our people for what only people can do. Right. And, you, 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 you know, as you can hopefully, as James was talking about, simplify some of these things. I think that's really important in that, yeah, these problems aren't unique, but they need to be exposed so everyone understands that. 
Ron, how about at uh, the Army? You know, what does it, what does it look like? What does a soldier of the future look like? Are they like a walking data center uh, almost, you know, like a micro data center out there? You know, it seems like they almost are these days, right? There's Some tremendous, stuff, tremendous efforts going on yeah. in that area with Army modernization efforts. Yeah, right. And, and it all, in the Army, it always starts with the soldier. But one thing I want to uh, highlight on the enterprise side uh, that may be part of the future, and that is how do we really leverage the capabilities and abilities of industry. And so we started a few months ago, and the Air Force had started a similar program a year or so before this. And it's a, it's a pilot where we're experimenting with technology with industry called Enterprise IT as a Service. And we're looking at a variety of things because the way the government typically does appropriations and contracting, it is very challenging state to stay close with the pace of change of technology. But industry is able to do that and do that well. And so we started with three Army bases this year, and we'll do three more next year and three more the following year. But it's, a, it's an experiment with, again, this as-a-service uh, network as a service and user uh, services as a service and compute and storage as a service. And how, how can we leverage industry uh, to do what was, is traditionally done by the government sure. so that then we can have the critical government workforce do all the things that we're challenged to do, and that's really defending the data right, um, that, that we move to. So this is an experiment we're on. We'll see over the next three years how this pairs, uh, you know, fares out, but it really is about... Uh, leveraging the really skill sets and ability of industry. It makes a lot of sense, right? Let the experts do what they do best so that, you know, the uh, the folks in the, uh, in the service can do what they do best, which right. is protect this nation. Paul, bring us home in regards to, you know, what, what does it look like out there? You know, when you, I, I know you've got a lot of things that you're doing today. You talked about this year. What does it look like over the horizon, right? The, the, uh, the socks are consolidated. There's a whole bunch of activity going on. Tell us what it looks like. I think John and James uh, touched on it, and I think so. As far as the vision, that's that's where it's going to go. We we need to decrease the 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 time window from flash to bang with respect to detection and response. We need to be able to do detection and response at machine speeds. And, and that's going to be driven by um, the requirement to keep up with the attacker. The attacker is going to be leveraging these machine learnings, artificial intelligence technologies to decrease their flash to bang on an attack. So the attacks are going to get automated at machine speed. Yeah. We need to be able to keep up with them and keep the defense um, uh, at machine speed as well. So it's always going to be this, it's going to continue to be this cat and mouse game where um, you know, it's always one-upping from the um, the attack, the attacker to the defender. A couple of uh, parting comments. I, I really liked what a, all of my esteemed colleagues had said. Um, I agree with you know what Chris was saying, and nothing is free. What a lot of my uh, friends and family don't understand is that if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. And I just need to be aware that um, you know these social media sites, these free applications that you're downloading to your phone, are, are gathering all of this intelligence and data on you, and you just need to Good be aware point. of what they're doing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, the last point I want to make is, you know, after last week, last week was one of the hardest weeks we've had to deal with uh, as cybersecurity practitioners. I call it, 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 was, it was the patch week from, from hell. Between Microsoft, uh, Oracle, Intel, uh, Citrix, it, it, we were getting bombarded with patches, many of them being zero days, for some of which there weren't even patches out there for. Mm. So at some point, we... Uh, as a community, need to get around the concept that, you know, secure, fast, cheap, you can only have two of those. Uh, at some point, we need to be either willing to wait for the secure code or be willing to pay for it because 
Fast and cheap isn't working for us. Get what you pay for. All right. Well, it's been a fantastic show, and I'd like to thank the guests for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank the sponsors for which we don't have a show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make this program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2020 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 15 years. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.